What's up, Awaken? Uh, so I, uh, tonight I want to talk about a story and uh, kind of that there's a, a bigger story in the world than we typically give credit to. I know for me, I often open my Bible and look for myself in it. Anybody else do that? You kind of look for how, yeah, a couple of you are honest. Um, you look for which, uh, you know, what, what does it say about me in this passage? And I'm in kind of a reading through the Bible uh, kind of a story set. So I'm in, in Numbers right now, and it's just in Leviticus, kind of hard to find myself in those books. But I'm, I'm persevering through. And if you've tried to read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, that, those are kind of the hardest times, Leviticus, Numbers, but keep going through it. Um, and, but I want us to see that in Scripture, in history, God has a story that he's writing that goes way bigger than us way bigger than our individual lives, our individual families, even this church, and that he's inviting us to be a part of that story. So just to help us wrap our minds around story, even though I know we love thinking about how, you know, growing up in, in America, we can set our own destiny, we can be different than maybe what our, our, our past family was, or et cetera, and that's all true and stuff, but there's also things that we gain from uh, our family that is before us, and we give to our, our children who are coming after us. Uh, and for me, one of those things is hair loss um, that I uh, gained from my, my uh, dad and, uh, you know, past generations, so I'm 30 years old, but hair might look like I'm older than that. Uh, and I went to our, uh, my barber, who is a Syrian refugee guy uh, who cuts my hair. And if any of you understand the word shweya uh, in Arabic, it means little. That's what he was saying about my hair as he was cutting. Ooh, shweya, shweya. Little, little, little. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And he was, he actually, he, he communicated through our, our broken English, like, oh, I'm going to be very careful because there's so little hair up here. <clears throat> so it was kind of him, kind of him. Uh, I also wanted to give you a little, uh, I heard there's a uh, little bit of, of typical awkwardness that comes with a guest speaker, so I wanted to kind of try to fight that a little bit by showing a cute video of my daughter dancing. So if you could roll that clip from her birthday party. <coughs> That's my five-year-old, Layla. She's got some moves. There's some of our, her friends. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that. That's our two-year-old Keziah. Kill the clip now. It's my two-year-old Kezi again. So hopefully that presses into the awkwardness a little bit. Maybe it makes it more awkward. I'm not sure. Hopefully not. <clears throat> We're talking about uh, story tonight and God's story, but, but family is a part of that as well. The families of the world, the families of, of the nations, the families of the earth. So I wanted to show you a picture of my family. If you could pull this up, my beautiful wife Hannah is here, um, and this is Layla, the five-year-old you just saw dancing. 
uh, Keziah, the uh, two-year-old. She's also in the back, uh, back there. So we've got two little bears here. Uh, one of them represents our son Hudson, who passed away three years ago. Um, so he'd be, be three years old now. He, he died the day he was born, um, and uh, we miss him. And then uh, the little bear represents uh, our baby boy who's coming in June. So we've got a, a baby son coming. Yeah, we're really excited about that. Uh, so God has, has uh, been gracious to us in that. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about story. Your church has a story. I love your church's mission statement, uh, if that's what it's called, the mission statement. Uh, awaken to Christ, awaken to community, and awaken to mission. And I hope to touch on all three of these points tonight as we're talking about God's story, because I think your church has a good, uh, a good handle on that and how we can be a part of God's story. So what I'm about to share with you guys, uh, I mean this seriously, I hope it changes your life forever. I hope that if you, you weren't maybe thinking in terms of God's story, that your paradigm is shifted to a God-sized paradigm of his word, of your life, of your church, and of the world. Uh, so I, I count it a great honor and, and privilege to come and share. Uh, pastors, thank you for the privilege. Uh, and been praying a lot. I've got a lot of people praying for you all uh, and for me tonight uh, as we talk about these things. Because this is some pretty significant stuff. So I've got three main points that we're going to be talking tonight. First point, God has a story. The second point, Jesus is the hero. And the third point, we're invited to join God in his story. We're invited to join him. Let's pray. Lord, this is uh, your story that I'm sharing tonight. Uh, I want to do it justice. Please speak through me and may your words be remembered, not me. Uh, may your words be remembered in the hearts and minds of everybody who's here. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, radically impact people who are here tonight um, to be a part of your story and be a part of what you're doing uh, in the world. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege of being here. Thank you for this church. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to hit on the idea uh, of God's story, and we love hearing stories. Um, I believe God's story, this is what I believe God's story is, and I'm going to try to prove it to you here uh, throughout my message tonight, is that uh, God's story is about his glory and kingdom being revealed to all nations, that he might receive the glory from all nations. His story is to reveal his glory to all nations, that he might receive the glory from all nations. So for me, uh, share a little bit about my story. Uh, as you saw, my super great dancing parents up there, uh, Bob and Debbie, I was born into a, a Christian home, raised in a Christian home. Um, I was also homeschooled, so whatever you guys think about that, you can project that upon me. Um, I, uh, I yeah, was homeschooled in a Christian family, uh, grew up in Arizona and Virginia, uh, those two different states. Yeah, yeah? Which one? Virginia. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that's, it works. <clears throat> Um, yeah, 10 years in Arizona, 13 in Virginia, uh, just had a, a really strong, tight-knit family. And my parents did a wonderful job. My dad actually was a uh, mobilizer with Frontiers uh, when I was growing up. So I'm kind of walking in his legacy in a lot of ways, which is a really cool thing. And I'm honored to be doing that. Um, but my parents were really good about never pushing missions on us. They never were forcing us into it. They would expose us to it. We got to travel uh, the world and do some, uh, go to some different places, but they never uh, were saying, this is what we think you should do with your life. They're just exposing us to it and encouraging us to follow what we felt like God was leading us to do. I so appreciate that about my parents. Um, and uh, because of their exposing us and really encouraging us to follow uh, whatever God is leading us to, two of us uh, are involved in full-time ministry to the nations, and the other two are not. And my parents love us equally, and, and they're happy that we're, we're all trying to follow what God is uh, leading us into. 
So, uh, but it wasn't until I was just reflecting on this today. It was 10 years ago this year when the Lord really started sparking my heart for the Muslim world. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more, uh, the need among the Muslim world. It was 10 years ago this fall when I was a senior in university and was praying and just felt the Lord put East Africa on my heart. And that led me down a journey to being here today uh, with you guys and talking about God's heart for the nations. So excited to talk more about that. But enough about uh, myself and my story. Let's get to God's story. So I want to start in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Anybody know what happens in Genesis 1? A lot of things, right? The whole world is created. There are six days, seven days that are, are, are recounted there, and it's about God creating the, the sun and the moon and the stars and day and night and separating the, the heavens from the earth and the waters from, the, uh, from land and, and then creating animals and vegetation and creating people. And one of the first things that he says to people in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, one of the first commands given to us as people is, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. I especially want to focus on that first part, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. I want to submit to you guys that God desired, this is before the fall, right? Genesis chapter 1, fall happens in Genesis chapter 3. God wanted the world to be filled with people in right relationship with him, people who are worshiping him, people who loved him and were loved by him. That was his desire. That's why he said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. So for those of you who, are, who aren't familiar uh, with, with the beginnings of Scripture, uh, two chapters later is when uh, sin happens, the fall, how we refer to it happens, Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruits and being kicked out of the Garden of Eden and that relationship being broken and separated. And so then uh, it progresses from there. And in Genesis chapter 6, uh, we, we start to see the story of Noah and the ark. A lot of us are familiar with that, or at least the VeggieTales version maybe. Um, but Noah and the ark where God says, I'm going to destroy the world and reboot it, basically restart it. But I want to keep this one family because they know me, they're in right relationship with me, and I want them to, uh, you know, kind of be the restart of the world. And I didn't ask them to put this verse up here, but if you look in your Bibles in Genesis chapter nine, verse one, the same command is given. God says, be fruitful and increase in number. The first thing he says to them after the rainbow kind of is a promise that I'll, I'll never again destroy the world. He says in Genesis 9-1, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. I've heard people say that uh, because, you know, in, in ancient times or in scripture, they, they couldn't kind of bold things or underline them or italicize them to really highlight and emphasize something. When they wanted to emphasize something, they'd repeat it. And so sometimes you see Jesus repeat something a couple of times in one story or one passage and he's highlighting the importance of it. And so here we see the same command given multiple times in the span of just a couple of chapters in the very beginning. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. And that is part of God's desire is for the world to be filled with people who are in right relationship with him, who are loving him and, and being loved by him. That's God's desire for the whole world to be, to be covered with his glory and filling the earth uh, and subduing it. So then uh, what happens after that? Uh, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, Noah and his family, they have lots of kids, right? And then they go across the earth and fill it and subdue it, and everything is peachy. Uh, no, if you're familiar with the story, that's not what happens. In Genesis chapter 11, they actually come together, and they say, let's build a tower that can reach to the heavens so we can show God that we're equal to him or better than him or something like that. So instead of filling the earth and subduing it like God commanded them twice to do, 
They said, let's stick together and build a tower to show God that we are as cool and good as he is. And God says, I don't think so. And so he, in a second, uh, creates 70 distinct languages. And if any of you have been in a, a room with people who speak different languages and can only speak different languages, what naturally happens, what naturally happens is people start to kind of group off right, to the people that you can understand and be understood by. You start to talk to those people and want to be with those people. So if you think about it, that's what happened when 70 distinct languages were created like that. They started to come together and started to separate and fill the earth in that way. But these were people who weren't in right relationship with God. So uh, what happens uh, next? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1. God calls a man named Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And all the families of the earth, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. The desire again for the world to be filled with people who are in right relationship with God continues in Genesis 12. God saying to Abram, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and through your children, and through your seed. So uh, let's skip on ahead to uh, other passages to show you. We don't have, uh, if we had time, I would go through countless numbers of verses that highlight the, the importance of the nations, but I've been given about 35 minutes tonight, so we'll try to hit the highlights. Um, so let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. God's desire for the nations to know about him and to be known by him continues as the people of Israel go about their business in Deuteronomy. Let's look at a verse in the Psalms. Psalms 46.10. A lot of us know the first part of this verse, right? Maybe you have it printed on a coffee cup or maybe you've made it a Facebook profile picture, or maybe you've tweeted it before. Uh, be still and know that I am God. But most of us stop there. What's the second part of this verse? It's actually not even a period at the end of that. It's a semicolon, meaning it continues. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God's desire to be exalted among the nations, to be exalted in all the earth, continues throughout the Psalms. There's many, many different Psalms that uh, I could point out to you guys, but again, for time's sake, let's just look at this one. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I think, I love this one as well because it highlights who's really doing the work, right? He says, be still and know that I am God. If I were writing that, I'd say, Go do a lot of work in ministry and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in all the earth. Because I'd be like, yes, I get to do stuff. And I could probably take credit internally for it or maybe externally. But no, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. How about the story of Daniel? Uh, any of you grew up with uh, the story of Daniel in you know, your picture books or in your Sunday school classrooms or uh, I love when people uh, bring this up, flannel graphs, you know, with the <clears throat> kind of the cutouts and posting on, on different boards, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, yeah, so Daniel in the lion's den, 
we uh, get this story. If you're not familiar with the story, it's this really cool dude, Daniel, who was uh, in a, the people of Israel exiled in Babylon, and he was standing firm in his faith, and the Lord was giving him favor in the palace. And so he rose up the ranks to being a very high, prominent person in, in a, a foreign land. But he still wanted to stay faithful to the one true God in a place that wasn't worshiping the one true God, which was a crazy thing to do. So he was doing that, and there were people around him that didn't like that. And so they said, you know what? How can we get rid of this guy? Oh, let's persuade the king to say, uh, you can only worship me, the king, and not any other gods. If you worship any other gods, we're going to do the worst thing imaginable. We're going to throw you into a pit with hungry lions. And as many of us have been familiar with the story, uh, Daniel continues to worship the one true God, gets thrown into the pit with lions. The lions' mouths are shut, and uh, Daniel is saved and spared. And so as he's pulled out of the pit, though, uh, one thing that often doesn't get shared in Sunday school is something happens after that. King Darius issues a decree. If you can pull that passage up, he wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. So even in the story of Daniel and the lion's den, God is accomplishing his nationwide fame tour where he wants to show the world I am the true God because he longs to reveal his glory to all the nations, to all the peoples, that he similarly might receive the glory from all peoples. That's God's passion all the way from back in Genesis 1, and he continues to do this throughout Scripture. Uh, but how about not just the Old Testament, how about the New Testament as well? Um, let's go to... Uh, yeah, well, well, Jesus, right? We gotta think about Jesus because we're all about Jesus. We love, awaken to Christ, right? We wanna be about what Jesus is about. Isaiah 49, 6 is a passage that prophesies about the coming servant, Messiah. In Isaiah 49, 6, uh, the Lord says about his servant, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles or for the nations, other translations put it, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So this prophecy says about Jesus, uh, it's too small a thing for you just to be for your own people. I will make you as a light for the nations that your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And I implore you, awaken church members being here. Perhaps the Lord might say to you as well, it is too small a thing for you just to do ministry among the people that are like you. But that same light that was given to Jesus that lives inside of us will make us a light for the nations, that the salvation of Christ, the salvation of Jesus may reach to the ends of the earth. Because that's what, what Jesus was about. Uh, let's go to Mark eleven seventeen. One of my favorite passages, I call it the Hulk passage, when Jesus goes Hulk on the temple, you know, starts flipping tables over, right? Uh, one of the few real, like, clear displays of, of fierce emotion we see from Jesus in Scripture. Now, I don't know if any of you have thought about why he was getting angry in the temple. Uh, people smarter, to that, smarter than I, uh, there are many of them, but people who are smarter than I who know scripture well uh, see that Jesus was looking at the temple. And as we know this verse, he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. A lot of times we look at this and we say, oh, Jesus was just really mad because they were exchanging money in the temple. And so he was saying, no, we don't do that here. We worship God. But there was actually a place in the temple called the court of the Gentiles or the court of the nations where the foreigners could come and worship. And some scholars believe 
that the, uh, the people who are doing their money changing were actually setting up in the court of the Gentiles, the court of the nations, to try and box out, if you understand that basketball term, to try and box out the Gentiles so they couldn't worship in the temple because they didn't want them there because they were different than they were. Which would really explain why Jesus quoted the passage that he did, which he was actually quoting a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 56, which on your own time, you should go look up because it's a really phenomenal uh, chapter focused on God's heart for the foreigner, where he talks about how uh, God loves to bring in the, the eunuch and the foreigner into his family and into his temple in Isaiah 56. And that explains a lot why Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So perhaps Jesus was really angry because the foreigners weren't given an opportunity to be a part of uh, the worshiping in the temple. And how about the Great Commission? A lot of us know this passage uh, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you don't know it yet, you do now. Uh, it's called the Great Commission. I like to think of it as the Great Invitation, where uh, we're invited into the story of what God is doing around the world. God invites us into it. And he starts it in Matthew 18 by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love, you know, some people start in verse 19. I like starting at 18 because we've got to be reminded our place, right? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, this is some of Jesus' last recorded words in Scripture at the end of Matthew. But it's important, remember, if something is repeated in Scripture, that there was a point to it, that there's something we should remember. So it would be significant if some of Jesus' last words were to go and make disciples of all nations. But what if he said it again? Or what if it's recorded again? in another gospel. How about Mark 16, 15? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Again, some of Jesus' last recorded words in the gospel of Mark. Or how about Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 47? Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Man, this is pretty important, right? Jesus opened their minds so that the people could understand the whole of scripture. I would have loved to have been a part of that party that got to understand the whole of scripture. He told them, this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Or how about John 20, 21, where Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And I think about how was Jesus sent? If we look at Isaiah 49, if we look at his life, encountering foreigners, Jesus was sent so that his light might be a light to the nations, that his salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, in case you're feeling some internal pushback, I recognize there are a lot of narratives we can see from Jesus' life, like his, his love for, for those who are, are, are poor, his heart for the widow and, and the orphan, and all those are true about Jesus as well. But I want to show you that this is a really important part of Jesus' life as well in his ministry, was to be a part of making disciples of all nations. And if it was important to Jesus, it should be important to us as well. And how about uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Uh, this is so important to God that his last recorded words in the book of Acts, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth. Well, when we are going and making disciples of all nations, sometimes I think we can get a, a wrong impression 
uh, of what that would look like. And I, I think a good, a good model to display kind of two different ways of looking at um, conviction or calling, as some people say it, of, of going and living abroad and trying to make disciples uh, among all nations uh, can be illustrated by Moana. <clears throat> if we could bring that picture up. Uh, and I think that there are two ways we can pull from her famous song that I love, How Far I'll Go, right? So there's that first line that says, I've been staring at the edge of the water long as I can remember. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all night. Uh, and then the, the beginning of the chorus. See the light as it shines on the sea and it calls me. So listen to those words. See the light as it shines on the sea and it calls me. And a lot of us think that that's what missions has to be in our hearts and minds. That there has to be some like grandiose call. That we have a call to the Middle East. We have a call to India. We have a call to Greece. We have a call to Kazakhstan or somewhere else. That Just like Moana had a call in the sea. And you know what? If I don't feel that in my heart, then peace. Like, missions isn't for me. It's for the other people in the church. I would say, well, if, if it was important to Jesus and we want to model our lives after Jesus, then it should probably be important for all of us. Now, now, all of us don't necessarily need to get up and move overseas for sure, but we all need to see ourselves as a part of this big story that God is doing around the world. And all of us have a part to play. And, and for some people, it will be involved packing up, you know, selling your stuff here and moving overseas. But the rest of us are still gotta be a part of it as well in different ways. Because this is God's story that he's writing. And uh, so what's the second way? that is kind of an incorrect way of thinking about uh, missions. Because no one knows how far I'll go, how far I'll go. No one knows how far I'll go. I fall into this trap all the time where I say missions is about how far I will go. Missions is about how many churches I can plant overseas, how many people I can see come into the kingdom. How many, how many like, really great newsletters I can write back home to say, look at all the great ministry that I'm doing overseas. And it becomes about me. And it becomes about what I can do and what I'm about. And that's not right because this is God's story. This is what God has been doing. I told you guys at the beginning, right? We're, we're, we gotta think of, take our minds out of thinking about our, our individual selves and how it just applies to me and think about the story that God's writing in history. All the way back from Genesis chapter one when he said, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. All the way to today, February 17th, 2019. It's still going on. It's still going on. So it's gotta not be about us. That second part, Jesus is the hero of the story. Not us, we're not the hero, Jesus is the hero. We're more like, if we're gonna make a Moana comparison, we're more like, hey, hey, the chicken, you know? <laughs> like, if Jesus is Moana, right, the one that actually saves the day, we're like, hey, hey, the chicken, the one who stumbles our way through the story, but might get to be a part of the victor victory at the end. We gotta be seeing and acknowledging Jesus as the hero of the story and be trusting and relying upon him uh, to do that. And this is uh, really significant because uh, sometimes plans don't go the way we were thinking they would go. 
I have thought I was going to be moving overseas at least twice so far in my life. And here I still am in Columbus, Ohio, hanging out with you guys. Not a bad gig. I enjoy it, really. Uh, being with you guys tonight is really a privilege and it's really fun. But there's a part of me that would love to be over there already. And if, it was, if I saw life as up to me, like I was the one that had to save the day, then I'd feel like crap if I wasn't going and doing that. And I'd feel like, oh man, think about all these people that are, are dying because I'm not there to tell them. Think about all these things that aren't happening because I'm not there. And I don't think that's what God wants. I think God wants us to be obedient to what he is inviting us into and our part to play. Whatever that looks like, remembering that Jesus is the hero of the story. Not you, not me, not any of us here. Jesus is the hero of the story. And we need to trust in him uh, to that. And in order to do this well, we need to be awakened to Christ. We need to grow in our love and passion for him. We need to see how awesome he is and be reminded of that on a daily basis. He's the hero and he's a, a freaking awesome hero that we can champion, that we can share with the world because he's that awesome. And that it's up to him. It's not up to us. However, we are invited into the story. <clears throat> we are invited into the story. So what can that look like? In order to be invited into the story, um, I believe that God gets more glory and reveals more glory when he uses hey, hey, chicken people like us who uh, are stumbling our way through the process. He's using people like us, but in order to do that, we must be awakened to mission. See what I did there, tying in your mission statement? Yeah, you got it. Awakened to mission. We must be awakened to God's mission, to God's story of the world. And uh, not just our personal one. Personal one. So uh, knowing this is God's story, all of us have got to get involved. And uh, I think that, you know, but when we get involved, we should be strategic in our involvement and what that looks like. So I've got a couple of maps that I want to show you guys here. So if I can pull this first map up, this is the non-Christian population. Um, and uh, what they're estimating, 2020, population will be in millions. So you see the big circles for India, that's 1,320 million people. So 1.3 billion people that are non-Christians in India. Or 1.2 billion people in China. Or 200 million people in Pakistan. 81 million in Iran. 230 million in Indonesia. In Bangladesh. Uh, so you see these numbers up here. This is where some of the highest concentrated uh, groups of people live that are non-Christian, that are unchurched, and what some people might term unreached or unengaged. Unreached means there's not enough people to reach them in their own places. So if we want to be a part of God's story, we want to be making disciples of all nations, or like Revelations chapter 5, verse 9, or 7, verse 9, tell us that there will be people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language worshiping Jesus for all of eternity. That's going to happen. It, it will happen someday, but there's this gap from what God intended in Genesis 1 to where is going to be in the end of times, and we're sitting in the middle of that gap. And this is a part of the reason of that gap, because there are huge groups of people that don't have any opportunities to connect with people who love Jesus. Maybe there are Christians even in their country, but if you've never traveled to some of those places, and in a lot of those places, a lot of the people who are Christian background aren't really that interested in hanging out with people who are Muslim background or Hindu background in India, because there's like generations of war and generations of, of your dad killed my dad, your grandpa killed my grandpa, etc. And uh, I, I don't deal with that. So I, I go with a clear conscience. They, they deal with that. So 
there's still a need to send people. But maybe you're sitting here saying, oh, but we've sent people over there. You know, we've got Asia's Hope even sharing the same building or something. There's people that are over there engaging in a lot of ways. Let's see where the missionaries have been sent. Oh, funny that. In a lot of the other places of the world, not where those main huge blocks are. That's where the missionaries have been received as of 2010. And in 10 years, those numbers haven't changed a ton in the thousands. So there still is a huge need to send people to some of those huge circles that have huge populations of non-Christians. So if this is truly God's story, and if we're seeing ourselves as being invited into God's story, I would recommend you start thinking, okay, Lord, how might you invite me to be part of your story of revealing your glory to the peoples of those those countries that were highlighted, the Indias and the Pakistans, the Indonesias, the Chinas, places like that, where there haven't been a lot of missionaries that have been sent. This is why me and my family were hoping to be sent to the Middle East. We've been delayed, you know, a couple of times, and we're still not there yet, but that's, that's what we're believing God is inviting us into to be part of, uh, of um, his story and sending us over there. So I'm not someone up here who's trying to talk the talk. I'm trying to walk the walk as well uh, of engaging with internationals here locally and also uh, hoping to be sent uh, globally as well. And I invite you guys to, to come with us in this story. Uh, maybe not, not to the Middle East necessarily, but come with us in being a part of what God is doing around the world and a part of his story, revealing his glory to all nations uh, so that he might receive the glory from all nations. So I think as we're closing up here, just a couple of minutes, we've got two groups of people that aren't necessarily static, uh, but they could be, you could be both at some points. It could be one in some points and one the other. And I'd say they're senders and goers. Or if any of you are, are John Piper fans, he usually said there's three ways to respond to the Great Commission. You could be a sender, you could be a goer, you could be disobedient. That's how Piper says it. Uh, so uh, we'll stick with the senders and goers for tonight, though. Um, senders and goers. Senders, who are the senders? Senders are people who say, you know what, at this point in time, I don't believe that God is inviting me to move overseas, but I want to be about praying for the people who are going. I want to be about giving financially. I want to be about giving of my time and energy to, to help them in whatever ways that I can. If it's something small, like helping them pack boxes before they go, or helping watch, if they're a young family, helping watch their kids while they uh, get ready to go. Uh, or, you know, praying for them, being a part of a prayer team that really cares for them well, sending them care packages while they're overseas, or helping champion for them while they're here. So that's part of the senders. Or how about the goers? Uh, the goers are people that are, as, as it sounds like, they're going overseas. So I, I, we need both. And in order to be both, I want to tie in that third point of Awaken's mission statement. We need to be awakened to community. Now, from everything I hear from your church uh, and the people I'm connected to, it sounds like you guys do community really well. I want to encourage you to do that in missions as well. Don't just focus on being a great community around the Word of God and around the campus of Ohio State and the the families and communities here. Think about that in the global terms. How can you, as a community, pray for and bless those who are feeling called to, to be sent overseas? And I hope that it's more than just those couple dozen people that have already self-identified. I hope there's more of you that are saying, you know what, I want to be a part of God's story, and perhaps he might be inviting me to move overseas in that way. Uh, So speaking of those things, uh, I've got a quick message to you who feel like God is stirring you up to go. I know there's some of you here in the church. I've got a couple of things I just want to to share with you. Tips for you. Luke's two or three or four tips 
on how to prepare well before you're going overseas. Fix your eyes on Jesus and don't turn them away. If that's something, that should apply to all of us, but especially if you are interested in being a part of God's story overseas, fix your eyes on Jesus and don't turn them away. Be active in engaging cross-culturally here. Don't just wait for it to happen over there, but be active in serving here. There's, I've heard there's about 100,000 Muslims actually here in Columbus, Ohio. Lots of opportunities to engage here cross-culturally. Be active in pursuing deep community, resolving conflict quickly and loving each other deeply. Don't let grudges endure for a long time because when you're overseas, man, that's gonna kill your team and your ministry overseas if you don't learn how to do that skill well here by being able to uh, invest deeply in community. And lastly, uh, challenge yourself on a regular basis because you're going to be tremendously challenged overseas as well. So if you start by trying to challenge yourself, whether it's trying to learn a new language or develop a new skill, you know, if you don't know how to play an instrument, try to learn how to play an instrument, you'll get frustrated a lot. And that's good because going overseas, you're gonna be frustrated a lot and trying to know how to, how to engage cross-culturally in that way. So I would encourage you to, to try to challenge yourself regularly here in the U.S. to help develop grit and perseverance that will be able to help you last overseas. Honestly, those are kind of like good life skills to have, but especially for those of you who are, are aspiring to follow God's invitation overseas, uh, I would encourage you to do those things. So um, what to do next, though, here as we're wrapping up? If you guys want to come up and, and get, started, get set up, uh, I'm in the last minute here. Um, we've got a couple of things that I would recommend to you. Um, as we're reminded, God has a story, a recap. Jesus is the hero, and we're invited to be a part of it. <clears throat> we have a conference here coming up this weekend called Catalyze. If any of the things that I shared tonight, wanting to learn how to be a better sender or a goer, uh, starts Thursday night, Friday and Saturday and Sunday afternoon. There's open sessions Thursday night and Sunday afternoon or the stuff you pay for on Friday and Saturday. Uh, please come out and check it out. It's just uh, across the way at Vineyard Columbus on Cooper Road. Prayer for the nations is something beautiful that your church is doing. It's a good part of sending and going. Honestly, prayer has got to be a really important part. And the next prayer time here at Awaken, Saturday, March 23rd at 7 p.m., contact Sarah. Sarah's our, our missions director here at Awaken. She's over there. She can uh, tell you more about that. It's a beautiful way of engaging with what God's doing. Uh, and then finally, a conversation, I would say. Maybe your next step is just having a conversation with uh, Kimball, with Chris, with Sarah, with myself tonight, uh, if you want to, to just say, hey, I feel like uh, maybe I should take a step in being a part of God's story in a more significant way than I have before, and uh, that you would wanna do that. Uh, I would love to talk to you about that. So I, I, guys, I've been praying for you for the past couple of years, honestly, your church, and it's a privilege to be able to share a little bit about what I believe God's heart for the nations is. I hope and pray that some of this stuff sits with you uncomfortably and you gotta do something about it and you end up talking to Kimball or Chris or Sarah uh, and maybe me somewhere down the road uh, as well. But thanks for the honor of sharing with you guys tonight.